Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Friday, April 2nd. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be doing the betters box here on Mondays and Thursdays, typically, throughout the Major League Baseball season, but... With the last week here of the month of March, with the Final Four coming up here on Saturday, just doing a regular week of shows here on ATS Radio for the final time. Uh, We've done that from football season through basketball season, but now as we get into the spring and summer months, we do kind of scale back the ATS Radio content a little bit. Monday, I'll chat with Kyle Hunter about the national championship game and some of his thoughts on betting. On Tuesdays, we'll keep having Brian Blessing on the show because we talk golf and NASCAR and some of those other markets that are out there. But going forward, Monday and Thursday will be the days of the Betters Box, our MLB betting podcast. So if you do like the show, if you follow along with it, just want you to know what the schedule will be here as we go forward. Along with the Betters Box here on Mondays and Thursdays, doing a daily picks article over at ATS.io. They are long reads. They are long write-ups, taking a look at a lot of the games on the card, not even just the ones that I have picks on, trying to lay a lot of groundwork, give you some thoughts on not only how I handicap individual games, but also some thoughts on the pitchers, the starting pitchers, the teams, all the stuff that goes into a baseball handicap here. So pretty long write-ups, but you know I think they're definitely worth their weight in gold if you want to be serious about betting the Major League Baseball season. And obviously, I hope the picks do well, but my chief goal with that article is to share information, is to kind of talk about the process, sort of look through all of the different considerations that you have. So you read that daily article over at ATS.io, typically going to have that up around sometime between 1030 and 1130 on weekdays. We'll see what it looks like on the weekends here uh, with some busy weekends coming up for me. But in any event, you can get that daily article over at ATS.io. And also while you're there, the 2021 MLB betting guide, still very relevant. I think it has relevance into the month of May, breaking down a lot of different things about these teams. So you can check that out over there as well. Still covering NBA, NHL, college hoops, soccer, golf, NASCAR, UFC, you name it, we got it over at the website. And you can also get all of that stuff in the ATS app as well, which you can download from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. You can use the app as a bet tracker. You can use it as an odd screen, as a stats database. There's a premium model that you can subscribe to for $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. Lots of stuff in that ATS app. And I highly encourage you to download that today. Finally, before we get into the meat of the show, if you want the show notes from the betters box, and I do have relatively detailed notes here since I am doing a solo podcast, I want to make sure I cover everything. If you want the notes for the show, if you listen to the show on the go, at the gym, in the car, wherever it is, I do talk about some advanced concepts, throw out a lot of numbers in there as well. So if you want the notes to the betters box to pair with listening to the show, email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com. 
that'll get you on the contact list for the notes. I send them out the day of every show. So if you want to get on the list for the Better's Box show notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com. And again, I also think pairing the podcast with the Daily Picks article uh, is a good idea as well if you've got some time to read that on a daily basis. So those that have listened to the show for a long period of time know that I have a pretty traditional format for the Better's Box. But obviously here with only one day of games having been played so far, Going to modify that a little bit here for today's show. We'll still have a pick for today's action and preview the weekend ahead, but won't talk about too much with regards to the line movements that we've seen here so far with only one day worth of games. I'll have a lot more data to talk about with that for uh, next Thursday's show. As Monday, like I said, I'll be joined by Kyle Hunter when we talk about the national championship game and his thoughts on betting baseball. So with that, we will get into the Beyond the Box score segment here and Got some early returns on the baseball. And and this is always a question coming into the season. How will the baseball play? How much of an adjustment do we have to make, whether it's betting on totals or betting on sides? Because the differences with the baseball year in and year out will hurt some pitchers more than they will hurt others. So it's always a really interesting thing to take a look at here at how the baseball is actually going to play. And the early returns for me, were very interesting. You know, we had a lot of content written up at places like the Ringer and the Athletic and stuff like that, taking a look at how the baseball could end up playing. And it was largely speculation at that point in time. We did have some small sample size data in spring training with the new baseballs because what Major League Baseball did in spring training was the teams really started with what they had left over and then kind of worked in the new baseballs as the spring went along. So over at the ringer, they did some great work. Rob Arthur does a fantastic job parsing through the data. And he put together some thoughts on how the baseball was playing based on the stat cast data that we had, based on whatever information was out there. And the consensus was basically that exit velocities would be up. The ball would be a little bit softer, a little bit bouncier, a little bit springier, but that there would be an increased level of drag on the baseball that would kind of hold it down a little bit in terms of carry, in terms of fly ball distance, stuff like that. And of course, too, we did have some questions as to how the pitchers would adjust to the baseball, where apparently the seams are a little bit higher on this new ball. So that may create a little bit more spin rate, may create a little bit more resistance and some drag on the baseball in route to the plate. So by and large, in the grand scheme of things, we had some elements that would kind of cancel each other out. We had some elements that would kind of come to the forefront here. And one of them that I think came to the forefront is that exit velocities were higher on opening day. Now, again, it's just one data point, just one day's worth of games, 13 games with the COVID issues for the Nationals and then the rain out for the Red Sox and the Orioles. So over 13 games here, we had 173 batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour and 271 batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour. Now I did tweet about this on my Twitter page at skating tripods that there was a lot of high velocity contact in the game between the Cardinals and the Reds. Now, part of that could be attributed to the fact that neither Luis Castillo nor Jack Flaherty pitched all that. Well, neither guy had a whole lot of command in that game, but you also have to keep in mind here 
that the Reds and the Cardinals in the 2020 season had the lowest number of batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour. So these are two offenses that don't make a lot of high quality contact. And yet the ball was screaming off the bat in that Cardinals and Reds game. And again, it's just one data point, just one example, but it does serve as a pretty big example, in my opinion, of what's going to happen with the baseball here for this season. So why is this relevant? Why does exit velocity matter? Why do certain thresholds of exit velocity matter? Well, let's look at the last three seasons here. And we'll take a look at batting average and WOBA, weighted on base average, by exit velocity over the last three seasons. Now, in 2020, we saw batting average on balls in play dip to a a low that we've never really seen here before. And we also saw batting average dip quite a bit in 2020. Shifts were a big part of this, better defensive scouting reports, all that kind of thing. So batted balls of 100 or more miles per hour in 2020 had a batting average of 608 with a WOBA of 801. Now, what you need to keep in mind about WOBA is that it's just a modified, more detailed version of on-base percentage. So effectively, what we're kind of looking at here is that batting average last season, about 61% of the time, a batted ball of 100 plus miles per hour went for a hit. And the WOBA of 801 puts it you know, up there that there were a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, a lot of home runs in that scenario because WOBA applies weighted run values to the ways in, re- in which you reach base to the point where a home run is more valuable than a single, a double is more valuable than a single, a triple is more valuable than a double, stuff like that. So the higher the WOBA, the more we're talking about doubles and triples and home runs and things of that sort. So at 100 plus miles per hour, about 61% of batted balls went four hits. Now in 2019, 100 plus mile per hour batted balls, that number was 634 on batting average and 818 on WOBA. In 2018, it was a 620 batting average with an 804 WOBA. So batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour are going to be Doubles, triples, and home runs, more often than not, and over 60% of the time are going to be hits. So that's why this is relevant. The higher the exit velocity, the more likely it becomes a base hit, a home run, a double, something like that. So there is a very, very strong correlation, and not surprisingly, between exit velocity and guys reaching base. So that's why this is really, really important. So that that was the 100 plus mile per hour threshold. When we look at 95 plus miles per hour, and that's the baseline for hard hit percentage. If you're looking at the stat cast data, hard hit percentages, percentage of batted balls hit at least 95 miles per hour. That's a metric that I use quite a bit as it pertains to my handicapping. But with 95 plus mile per hour batted balls in 2020, a 510 batting average with a 645 Woba. So as you can see right away, the difference between 100 plus and 95 plus, we're talking about 100 points worth of batting average and about 155 to 160 points worth of Woba. So 95 plus mile per hour batted balls still go for hits more often than they don't, but they're not going for as many doubles, triples, home runs, so on and so forth. You get a lot more singles 
in that 95 mile per hour range. You also get a lot more outs, but more than half of the batted balls last season, 51% went for hits when they were hit at least 95 plus miles per hour. In 2019, that number was 539 and 668 on the Woba. And then in 2018, 522 on the batting average, 647 on the Woba. So basically here, exit velocity matters in a big way. And we're talking about big offensive outputs on balls in play, especially in the power department. Now, as you start scaling this back a little bit, 95 plus, again, last year, a 510 batting average, 94 plus was probably around 495. 93 plus was probably around 480. So basically with each mile per hour increase, you're at about 10 to 15 points increase in batting average. So the harder the ball is being hit, the more hits we're going to have. So basically what I'm looking at here is that if the ball is springier, as it is, it's kind of bouncy here based on the early returns that we've seen, we're going to get more hits. Now, I don't know if we get more home runs necessarily because of the drag and some of the coefficients with the baseball that have been discussed, but we're going to get more hits. So then we run into a very high variance game of whether or not those hits come with runners in scoring position or not, whether or not those pitchers can work out of those jams, whether or not those balls that are hit at high exit velocities are converted into outs. So Major League Baseball may get what it wants here in terms of offensive excitement on balls in play, where if the exit velocities are higher and the early returns, albeit in one day, but also going back to spring training, do suggest that the exit velocities will be higher across the board for this season, that means we're going to have a lot of hits, a lot of base runners here. In the early going, pitchers will start to adjust, hitters will adjust as well, and all of that. But it does appear as though we may have a higher scoring April than what we are typically used to because the environmental conditions will knock down some of those fly balls, will cut down on some of the carry, but weather factors don't contribute quite as much in terms of exit velocity. So it looks like we're going to get a lot of hard contact for this season, and that will make things difficult for me because a lot of my handicapping is predicated I'm looking at the pitchers that do limit hard contact. With that being said, the guys that limit hard contact really well are now at an even greater advantage than they previously were. So as long as that holds up, the guys that have the low exit velocities, low hard hit percentages, then maybe that kind of plays into my hands with my handicap. And then furthermore, one other thing here, and we did see some teams kind of struggle a little bit defensively. Uh, on opening day. And that will certainly be a thing. Everyone kind of getting into the rhythm and all of that. But if we're seeing higher exit velocity contact, teams that are really good defensively will have a much better chance than teams that are bad defensively. So that will be something that you want to factor into your handicap here as well. Something else I noticed about opening day is that the walk rate was 11.6%. And I thought that the high walk rate from last year, which was the highest since 2000, was something that could potentially regress a little bit. And I'm not so sure now. And again, it's only one day, only one data point. But keep in mind that on opening day, a lot of aces are out there on the mound. And maybe those guys just weren't sharp. That's certainly a possibility. But it does appear that there is a chance that the walk rate will remain high. 
And in part, because we've got a lot of pitchers throwing a lot more breaking balls and off speed pitches, things are a little bit harder to command than a fastball things that hitters will lay off more frequently compared to fastballs. So it does seem as though we may end up with a high walk percentage again for this season, possibly in line with the 9.2% from last year, possibly a little bit higher. We'll kind of wait and see how that all plays out. But reliever walk rates were very high on opening day as well. And this was a trend that we saw last season. And I attributed it to the weird start to the year, you know, the weird spring training, the unconventional format, all of that familiarity, you know, playing your division for two thirds of the schedule, so on and so forth. So maybe I'll have to reassess that as we go forward here, but it does seem as though walk rate could wind up being a significant factor once again. And if that winds up being the case and you've got high walk rates in concert with all of this high exit velocity contact, we're going to have a lot of base runners this season. And again, maybe that's what Major League Baseball wants. Maybe that's what they want to see to increase excitement in the game and all of that. But it's going to make handicapping certainly a little bit touch and go for the first little while here as we kind of wait to see how all of this sorts out. And again, it's just one day. It's very early to make concrete determinations on the things that we can rely on heavily. But at the same time, I think we are seeing some early signs here. And with all of the research that's been done, with kind of the way that things have been trending here uh, of late, I think I can say with some degree of confidence that we will see higher exit velocities this season. We'll maybe see fewer home runs. We'll also probably see a pretty high walk rate. And again, that will lead to a lot of games of a high variance context where it's simply going to be about whether or not those teams get hits with runners in scoring position or if they don't. And to that end, you know, again, as I talked about, 173 batted balls of 100 plus, 271 of 95 plus. All of that high exit velocity contact, all of that quality contact being made, we only had 29 home runs across the 13 games. So again, it is just one day worth of sample size, but based on the article from The Ringer, the great work done by Rob Arthur, it does look as though we're looking at higher exit velocities and maybe fewer home runs this season. So I'll talk more about sample sizes, stabilization points, all of that as we go throughout the month of April here. I'll talk about when we can really start believing in what we are seeing. But early on here, those are kind of my thoughts based on what we saw just off of that one data point, but also off of all of the research that was done late in spring training. So something I want to talk about here on today's show, and again, you know, we'll get more data, we'll get more into the numbers and the metrics as we get some larger sample sizes. But I wanted to talk about what goes into a handicap and specifically what goes into looking at starting pitchers because starting pitchers are a big part of the handicap. Even though these guys are really only working five, five and a third innings, not only now, but really throughout the course of the season, they are generally still pitching the bulk of the game. They are what the line is based on. So I want to talk about some of the things that go into handicapping the starting pitchers here for me. And of course, you can see a lot of this in my daily article over at ATS.io, but I did want to talk about it here on the show for maybe people that only listen to the podcast, don't read the article, or just kind of want uh, you know a little bit more of an affirmation of what I do in the handicapping process. So with starting pitchers, admittedly, the starting point is pretty basic for me. You know, I look at the ERA, FIP, and XFIP discrepancies. And again, this is something that as you watch baseball 
betting markets throughout the season, you will see line moves based on this. A guy with a high ERA and a low FIP, there will be an expectation of positive regression for that guy and the market will bet on him. A guy with a low ERA and a high FIP, there will be an expectation of negative regression and the market will bet against him. What I like to do though, is add some more context to it. And there are a couple of statistics you can look at to explain why the ERA is so much higher or so much lower than the FIP. BABIP, batting average on balls in play, is one of them, where league average is around 280-ish, 280 to 275 in that type of range here uh, based on all the home runs and all the things that we have nowadays. But batting average on balls in play can be a metric about luck, You know, a really high BABIP against could be bad luck. It could also be a bad defense. A really low BABIP could be really good luck. It could be a really good defense. Or it could be related to exit velocity and hard hit rate. You know, I just talked about it that when a batted ball is hit at least 100 miles per hour, it is a hit over well over 60% of the time. 95 plus miles per hour, a hit well over 51% of the time. So if you are able to limit hard contact against, you can carry a lower batting average on balls in play as a result. And that's something that FIP won't account for. FIP does not account for balls in play at all whatsoever. ERA, of course, does. So if you've got a low BABIP, if it's a byproduct of inducing a lot of weak contact, there's a degree of sustainability to that. If you've got a low BABIP while you're, you know, inducing a lot of, medium to hard contact, well, that's probably not going to be sustainable. So that is something you want to keep an eye on there. And then also left on base percentage. You know, we talk about cluster luck and we talk about those high leverage situations that oftentimes decide games. You know, do pitchers strand runners or do they fail to strand runners? That will often dictate the pitching stat line. It could even very well dictate the outcome of the game. So BABIP and left on base percentage are two metrics that I will take a look at. The thing about BABIP is, and I talk about stabilization points, and I will do that further down the line here, BABIP never stabilizes at a sample size that happens over the course of one season. So what that means is BABIP is always open to fluctuation, to interpretation, to positive and negative regression. So that's why it is a pretty important metric to look at from a luck standpoint, because if it's too low, that may change. If it's too high, that also may change. But it never reaches a point of stabilization where you can definitively say, this is how it's going to be. So that's why a stat like BABIP does wind up being a decent predictor of whether or not a pitcher will have positive or negative regression. So that's something that as sample sizes increases, as sample sizes increase, I will talk about a lot more here on the show. But again, that's what you want to do is you want to take a multi-layered approach here. And if you look at the left on base percentage, right? And let's say it's, you know, 85%, which is very, very high. League average is typically around 73%. If it's that high, find out why. Does that pitcher have a really good defense? Is he getting lucky? Is he inducing a lot of weak contact? What are the reasons why he's been able to have success stranding runners and similarly if the left on base percentage is really low like in the 65 66 percent range why is that happening is that bad luck is that a guy allowing a lot of hard contact 
to where he just doesn't have a chance to strand a lot of these base runners. So those are the things that you want to take a look at from a starting pitching standpoint and try to figure out why, what are the explanations for why those statistics look the way that they do. And those will be things that can create starting points for your handicap. Another question here I think that a lot of people will have is, how much does 2020 weigh in your mind? And the short answer is it's on a case-by-case basis. The long answer is that I'm digging really deep into these pitchers to find out why the things that happened in 2020 happened the way that they did. And there are going to be caveats with all of this. When you think about pitchers in the AL West, for example, you know, there really aren't a lot of good offensive ballparks in the AL West. You know, Angel Stadium's gotten a little bit better, but it still slants toward the pitcher side to a degree. Minute Maid Park is different based on whether it's open or closed. Uh, Global Life Field in Texas, that wound up being an extreme pitcher's park last year. Seattle is a very good pitcher's park. So when you look at Oakland Coliseum is a very good pitcher's park as well. When you look at 2020, you have to factor these things into the equation of where did these guys pitch? You know, if you're in the AL East, those road parks are hell, except for Tropicana Field. If you're in the AL West, all of those road parks are pretty good. So you got to factor that into the equation with home road splits, for example, and say to yourself, okay, this guy in the AL East, he was terrible on the road. But that's because he was pitching at Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium and uh, Salem Field in Buffalo, which was a good hitter's park as well. Well, if he's pitching a road game at Comerica, in Detroit or target field in Minnesota or out in any of the West coast ballparks, those home road splits from last year may not matter a whole hell of a lot because he's not pitching at Fenway park, which is the closest thing we have in the American league to Coors field. He's pitching at Oakland Coliseum, which is one of the worst offensive parks in baseball. So those are the things that you want to look at with regards to 2020 kind of factor those things into the equation. And also to the pitch usage changes. You know, I've talked about this a lot with Kenta Maeda for the Twins, for example, where he basically stopped throwing fastballs. I mean, he's probably about 15% lower on his fastball usage. A lot more sliders and changeups. Well, the offenses in the Central Division don't hit sliders and changeups very well. So that was a situation where Kenta Maeda had a ton of success. Against the Brewers yesterday, his control wasn't great. His command wasn't great through a ton of sliders in that start. But the Brewers had a little bit more success than the teams did last year when Maeda got to face a below-average offense virtually every time he took the mound, with the exception of the White Sox, who are very right-handed heavy and will struggle with that right-on-right slider. So those are things that, you know, there's a lot of context that comes into play here with 2020. It was a guy that was injured or a guy that, you know, missed a lot of time because of COVID or something like that. I don't really weigh 2020 too much into that equation. But if the guy got 10, 11, 12 starts, was out there regularly, there were some changes that were made, those are things I will factor into the equation and have already uh, at this point in time through two days of doing the picks article. What about price dependency? You know, this is a really important thing because we talk all the time about shopping around for the best prices, trying to get the best line that you can. The thing of it is, for Major League Baseball, I don't make my own numbers. So I'm looking to pick the winning side and I have an idea of where the games are going to go. And I also have an idea of this is too cheap. This is too expensive. You know, it's just something that I've kind of gathered through betting on baseball for the last several years through analyzing it to the degree that I do from writing the article, all of that. 
I have an idea of where I think the numbers should be. And I'm trying to pick the winning side based on the matchup, on the stats, my interpretation of the data, and then trying to find the best price or get the best market entry that I can at that point in time. And it is tough doing an article. There are a lot of things that I don't want to say hold you back, but there are a lot of things when it comes to creating content that do make things a little bit difficult. You know, for example, I can't go in my daily article and say, well, the price is minus 115 here, but it's minus 110 there, so go bet it there. But at that other sports book, this price is minus 118, and the other book is minus 125, go bet it there. I can't really jump around from book to book because I'm tracking my results. But you personally, and I personally, can do that. So I do try to look for the best price that's available at the outs that I have, and I would expect you to do the same. You know, the difference of minus 110 and minus 115 over the long haul is significant. I mean, the difference of laying minus 110 versus minus 115 is one winner per every 100 picks. Your break-even point at minus 110, 52.38%. Your break-even point at minus 115 is more in that 53.5% range. So that's a big difference to your bottom line. So you want to shop around for the best prices. I'm sort of handcuffed a little bit in terms of what I release publicly because of the article, because, you know, trying to release it around the same time, making sure that everything can be tracked, so on and so forth. But try your best to get the best of the line that you possibly can. That's a really, really important thing. Lastly, what goes into a handicap for me, I'm trying to look for which lineup will have the most success. And I thought on Thursday, and they really did, quite frankly, that the Giants would have more success than the Mariners. And they did offensively. The Giants had the 10 hardest hit balls in the game. The Mariners scored eight runs on only five hits. San Francisco gifted that game to them. They had a bad error. They had nine walks. They had all kinds of issues. Self-inflicted wounds where the Giants wound up blowing a big lead uh, in the eighth inning, gave up a six spot, tied it in the ninth but then wound up losing it in extra innings anyway. But I'm trying to look for which lineup will have the most success. And to to bring all of this full circle here, to me, having the most success means making the highest quality contact. If I can pinpoint the team in a game that will have the higher exit velocity, the higher hard hit rate, percentage of batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour, and the most barrels, then I'm going to win a lot more games than I'm going to lose. And in that game with the Giants and the Mariners, I did pick the team that had the better exit velocity, had the better hard hit percentage, but the walk wound up being the great equalizer in that one. So disappointing loss, but a game I would bet over and over and over again. Similarly, I thought the Reds would have more success against Jack Flaherty, or at least had the potential for more success against Jack Flaherty than the Cardinals did against Luis Castillo. Well, Luis Castillo never got a chance to settle in, gave up six runs in the first inning, Those things happen, but I'm looking at the starting pitchers, but I'm also looking at the offenses and seeing how the offenses will do in that matchup against that starting pitcher. Does the bullpen allow a lot of hard contact? Does the bullpen issue a lot of walks? So on and so forth. There's a lot that goes into my handicap. I'm not a modeler. I can't just put everything into my spreadsheet, spit out a number, and then bet it based on the overlay that I have. I can't do that. It's not in my repertoire. I look at a lot of things, break down a lot of data, handicap a lot of stuff about the matchups, spit that out onto paper, 
or virtual paper in this case, put up the article and bet the games I put in the article. So that's the process for me. Whether or not that process works for you, that's up to you to decide whether or not I'm challenging you with some things that maybe you didn't know about previously, you know, so be it. But I do think that there are a lot of advantages to breaking down the game in the way that I do and handicapping all of these betting odds. So whether that works for you or not, that's up to you. But I hope that between the article and this podcast here, the betters box, that you find maybe some different ways of handicapping, some different ways of breaking down the game than you've previously used. And so that's the hope uh, as far as I'm concerned, because look, I am not a professional better, you know, and I've talked about this before on, on regular editions of ATS radio. I'm not a professional better. I don't bet enough that it changes my life one way or the other. If I run bad or run good, I'm a content creator who likes to bet on sports. And I feel like baseball is the market where I've got the most advantages where I can put together the most comprehensive and, and strong content. So that's what I do. You know, I, I'm not a professional better. I, I want to make that clear. You know, I, I, I create content. I feel like I've got some edges in this sport. And so I bet the games and you know, I hope that the, the, that the results follow suit with the content that's out there with the quality of the content that I feel like I put forth. So just want to throw that out there here. You know, I I want everyone to not only get information and kind of learn some of these things, but also to be able to see these things for yourself. You know, one of the things that I decided a long time ago, getting into this business was that I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to help people learn what to do. I want them to be able to see these things for themselves to not even need me. And, you know, maybe... Maybe that's not the way it should be creating content in this space, but I also want people to be able to see a lot of these things for themselves, be able to isolate these spots where maybe the lines are going to move and to get that line value or to understand and know that if you like a side, you can wait for a better price, stuff like that based on my handicaps, based on my interpretation of the market. So those are the things I'm really trying to do here. And speaking of the market, look at some trends here early on in the season. One thing that you will see a lot of is underdog betting. You will see a lot of underdogs taking money early on in the season here, and several of them won on Thursday. The Pirates were a winner. The Jays over the Yankees. The Rockies were a winner over the Dodgers in a big number. The Tigers beat Shane Bieber and the Indians. The Diamondbacks almost got there. They had some bullpen issues uh, after scoring some runs off of Hugh Darvish. But there are a couple of schools of thought here in terms of betting the underdogs. First of all, the thought process is that favorites are likely overpriced because what happens is you get a lot of hype coming into the season. A lot of things are based on and predicated on the futures market where we know the haves and we know the have-nots, and those teams wind up being pretty big favorites early on in the season. A second thing is that everybody is kind of on semi-equal footing. You know, everyone's trying to get into the rhythms of the season even the best of the best are kind of struggling through some timing issues offensively or kind of fighting with their command, stuff like that. You know, we saw some aces on Thursday pitch really well. We saw some other aces really struggle. So everybody's kind of on relatively similar footing in the month of April. So you get a lot of underdog betting between that factor and also the thought that favorites are kind of overpriced a little bit because we know who's going to be good and we know who's going to be bad. And look, three of the likely worst teams in baseball won outright on Thursday in the Pirates, the Rockies, and the Tigers. 
So this does happen. Over 162 games, those teams will take their rightful places at the bottom. Over these first 25, 30 games of the season, a lot of different things can happen. So a lot of big dogs will be bet down. Dogs in that plus 200 corridor, in that plus 180 range, stuff like that. So keep an eye on that. Be aware of that, that big dogs will typically come down. So if you want to play the favorites, wait it out. If you want to play the dogs, play them early. We'll see a lot of market manipulation as everything kind of settles in here a little bit. A lot of the influential bettors out there partake in arbitrage, playing both sides of the game to kind of free roll it, guarantee some small profits. Middling, we'll see that as well. Somebody will move up a line, then come back over the top for a bigger bet amount, stuff like that. There's a lot of market manipulation in Major League Baseball. But one thing in the month of April that you can rely on year in and year out is that big underdogs will take money. So be aware of that. One other thing to be aware about early in the season here is that betters will back and fade starters multiple times in a row. If it's a guy that the market has isolated as a fade candidate, they will bet against that guy three, four, five, six starts in a row. Similarly, if it's a guy that the market has isolated as somebody to back, as somebody in line for some positive regression, perhaps, the market will bet that guy over and over and over again. doesn't take long to isolate these guys. Sometimes they're even the same guys that they were from the previous year. But if you start to see steam coming in or against the same pitchers after two, three, four starts, you can expect that to be something that will continue as we move forward here. One thing I do want to try to do with some of these early shows here in the month of April, talk about some of these sabermetric stats that I use. And I talked a lot about exit velocity and hard hit rate and the importance of those two stats earlier on in the show here. But I've talked about this stat a lot before, and I think it's really important to know because it is a stat that I do use a lot, either on the show or in my write-ups. Today's sabermetric stat of the show is WOBA, weighted on base average. This is my favorite sabermetric stat, and I've discussed this before, but it's a modified form of on-base percentage. And what it does is it assigns a weighted run value to the ways of reaching base. So on-base percentage is simply times you reach base divided by plate appearances. So it's just walks and hits divided by walks plus hits divided by plate appearances. So that's great. You know, it's nice to know how often a guy reaches base, but also understand that a single is more valuable than a walk. A double is more valuable than a walk. A home run is more valuable than a double. So that's what WOBA does. WOBA adds more context. It quantifies on-base percentage to a higher level to make weighted on-base average. And it will showcase guys that, you know, hit for more power. It will showcase guys that hit more home runs as opposed to just drawing walks, stuff like that. And as we know, Doubles and walks are a lot more valuable. Their doubles and home runs, excuse me, are a lot more valuable than walks. And when it comes to these sabermetric stats and some of these advanced metrics and advanced concepts, I do the best that I can to try and make them approachable to everybody, to try and really be thorough in my explanation of what they mean and what the value is. It's just an additional quantifier. You know, it quantifies what the eyes can see. You think about defensive metrics, for example, and there are some very advanced ones out there like outs above average, defensive runs saved, ultimate zone rating, stuff like that. You can watch a game and you can sit there and watch a center fielder 
and know that guy's not very good. You know, you could sit there and say, man, that guy sucks out there. And you're not wrong. But what the sabermetric stats and these metrics do is tell you just how bad that guy is out there, how much of a negative impact it's having on his team, and maybe even to a degree, how much of a negative impact it has relative to an average outfielder. So that's what these stats do. And you don't know, you don't have to know how to quantify or how to uh, calculate them, excuse me. You don't have to know what the formulas are. With Woba, you don't have to know what the weighted run values are. All you have to know is how to interpret that data, what it means, what the value of it actually is, and how to interpret that data. So I don't want anybody out there to be scared of all these acronyms that I use on the show with all of these metrics and these advanced stats and all of that. There was a time when people weren't comfortable with batting average or ERA or some of those other stats that are out there. There are just better ways now of breaking down and analyzing the game based on all of the data that's out there, based on all of the work that sabermetricians have done. And so I don't want people to be scared of those things. I will explain them on this show in a way that everybody should be able to understand. And if you don't understand it, I'm at skating tripods on Twitter. I'm skating tripods at gmail.com. If you have questions, just reach out. I'm happy to answer them. This is what I do for a living. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have and to help you break down baseball in a little bit more of an advanced way. So again, at skating tripods on Twitter or skating tripods at gmail.com. If you ever have any questions, or as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to get the show notes here, and again, obviously, as I'm going through here, a lot of good information on these shows that may be a little bit difficult to pick up if you're listening you know, at the gym doing cardio, or if you're in the car driving home from work or whatever else. So if you want those show notes, skating tripods at gmail.com. So as we go forward here, typically my format for the show will be to do the beyond the box score segment, talk about league wide things, talk about things that happen in individual series and all of that. What I call the down the line segment, where I look at line moves out there in the marketplace, kind of explain why those happened give you a pick or two, you know, sabermetric stat of the show, and then also preview the week or the weekend ahead, you know, the week, if it's a Monday show, the weekend, if it's a Thursday show. So that will be the format going forward here for this show. Obviously a little bit different the day after opening day, but doing Monday, Thursday here, as we go forward with the exception of this upcoming Monday, that will be what you can expect to hear on this show. And as far as a pick for Friday's action goes, I've got one side that I wrote up, only seven games today, by the way. I got one side that I wrote up in my Daily Picks article. That is the Chicago White Sox for tonight. Dallas Keuchel, an extreme ground ball guy. If exit velocities are going to increase here, and it does look like that will be the case, I'm certainly preferring ground ball guys over fly ball guys because ground balls are going to be singles. Fly balls are going to be doubles and home runs. So preferring ground ball guys early on in the season here. Keuchel is a very extreme ground ball guy. Also a pitch usage change for him here. More cutters and changeups last year. The cutter actually by the end of the year became his number one pitch. And he does allow some hard contact on the sinker, but he allows weaker contact on the cutter. So I think that's a really good thing for him, especially with exit velocities going up here around the league. Like the White Sox win the exit velocity battle offensively tonight. And also too, much easier to elevate the baseball against Andrew Heaney, the starter tonight for the Angels. 
The White Sox, a lot of right-handed bats. They could have as many as eight in the lineup here tonight against the Southpaw in Heaney. I think the White Sox do have the better bullpen, albeit they didn't show it yesterday. I think they do have the better bullpen here. So the White Sox tonight at a plus money price, plus 105 where I got it, or where I have it listed in the article anyway. Uh, That's what I'm looking at for tonight's action. So as we take a look at the weekend ahead here, just some food for thought, some things to keep an eye on. We start with the Twins and Brewers series here, this interleague series, very sloppy game on Thursday, some hard contact, some bad defense. Uh, The bullpens pitched very well. The starters struggled quite a bit. I don't really know why Friday is an off day for them because they played the game in a dome at American Family Ballpark or whatever the hell it's called now. I don't know why they're off on Friday, but they are. We come back on Saturday here with Jose Barrios and Corbin Burns and then Michael Pineda and Adrian Hauser on Sunday. Corbin Burns' massive breakout last season. And I do think that the Brewers take money here off the opening number with Burns against Barrios. But Jose Barrios is a guy that I'm still waiting for him to make that leap. Last year, it was the velocity. This year, if it's the command, Barrios' stock goes through the roof for me. If the command doesn't look better, especially here in this high exit velocity environment, well, that could be problematic for him. So I don't know if I'll have a play on this game for Saturday. We'll see what the price winds up looking like. But just know that I am watching Barrios very, very closely and also looking to see if what Corbin Burns did last season uh, is sustainable, is legitimate here for the Brewers. One other one here is that, you know, Adrian Hauser, very extreme ground ball guy. And I like this idea. I just talked about liking ground ball guys. But the Brewers' infield defense is a little bit shaky. Colton Wong, a very good second baseman. We'll see how the left side of the infield winds up looking. Keston Hira playing first base for the first time. Kind of a little bit worried about that. You know, we saw a lot of hits off of both Woodruff and Maeda in that Thursday game. A little bit concerned about that for Sunday for this Twins-Brewers matchup with Pineda and Hauser. Maybe that's an overlook for me. We'll kind of see what that total looks like on Sunday. The Braves and the Phillies here. The Braves made a ton of hard contact against Aaron Nola in that opening day start. They had 11 batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour. They had nothing to show for it until Kung Fu Panda hit the two-run pinch hit home run. But the Braves made a ton of hard contact in that game. And this is a team that last year made a ton of hard contact. So if we're going to have a springier baseball here, This Braves offense is downright terrifying. Maybe something you want to keep in mind with this weekend's action. Charlie Morton and Zach Wheeler on Saturday. Ian Anderson and Zach Eflin on Sunday. I will tell you right now, we'll see what this price looks like. But I like the Braves for Sunday, uh, you know, price dependent, of course, where I'm really high on Ian Anderson for this season. I think Ian Anderson is a guy that takes a really big leap for the Braves. Uh, I wish I would have taken a piece of him for a long shot Cy Young candidate. But I think Ian Anderson is a guy that can really break out this year for Atlanta. They're doing a lot of smart things with their pitchers, a lot of things in terms of spin rate, a lot of things in terms of throwing fewer fastballs. I think Ian Anderson could have a monster year for the Braves. I'm less sold on Zach Eflin. He missed some time in spring training as well. So I do kind of like the Braves on Sunday, uh, sort of taking a long look ahead here. Wheeler was a guy that induced a lot of weak contact last year, did have a low strikeout percentage, Curious to see how he fares on Saturday. I don't know if I'll play this game, but I want to see if a guy like Wheeler, who induced a lot of weak contact last year, 
is negatively impacted by what we're seeing so far with the early returns as far as this high exit velocity contact goes. Lastly here, the White Sox and the Angels. As I mentioned, I like the White Sox tonight with Dallas Keuchel against Andrew Heaney. Lance Lynn and Alex Cobb on Saturday. Dylan Cease, Shohei Otani on Sunday. That's the ESPN game on Sunday night here. One thing that, you know, you can't really quantify, but I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out here. The White Sox are playing in Los Angeles. And, you know, for a lot of other teams playing here on this opening weekend, they're playing division teams or they're playing the opposite division in interleague, something like that, where they did that last year. Now you've got Chicago all the way out in Los Angeles. You know, the time difference and all that kind of thing. And certainly coming out of spring training is a little bit different than, you know, the regular season. But I am kind of curious about the long travel situations here where these teams didn't travel very far really at all last year in the 60-game sample. Now they're going to be out on the road for a sustained period of time. There are still those road COVID protocols in place. Obviously, things will be different depending on the state that you go to, whether it's open or closed. You think about Texas, for example. They're talking about full capacity at Globe Life Field for Texas Rangers games. You're not going to see that on the road anywhere else. So kind of wondering about that, you know, and sort of what these long road trips will be. But that's something that kind of crossed my mind here a little bit with the White Sox, you know, playing these super late games and all of that. Is it strange for teams to be on the road playing so far away from home, trying to get back into that 2019 rhythm? I don't know. I can't really answer that as of now. And it would be a long time before we got a sample size of games that was significant enough in terms of long travel and all of that but just something I kind of thought about a little bit and something that maybe we have to consider here, at least early on in the season, and maybe for teams that are going far away from home for the first time. So covered a lot of ground here on today's show. Again, skatingtripods at gmail.com if you want the notes for the show, at skatingtripods on Twitter if you ever have any questions. That daily article every day over at ATS.io with my picks, with my breakdowns of the games. Hopefully you're taking a lot of good information out of that. And hopefully, of course, the picks wind up following suit. Coming up on Monday, we'll chat a little bit of baseball, but we'll do it with Kyle Hunter after we talk about the national championship game in the NCAA tournament and wrap up the college basketball season with him. Tuesday, Brian Blessing talking the Masters, NASCAR, all kinds of good stuff there. And then Thursday next week, we'll have another edition of the Betters Box. Just Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, from this point forward, I appreciate everybody listening throughout the college football, the NFL, the college basketball seasons. Uh, Hopefully we gave you some winners. Hopefully we gave you some different ways of looking at and breaking down the games. I'm very proud of the work that we do here on this show. I'm proud of the loyal listener base that I've got, proud of the guests I've put together, and I'm definitely looking forward to bigger and better things here as we go throughout the spring, the summer, and on into the fall. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you'll never strike out when you're in the betters box lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.